Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Have you ever wondered how schools pull off large naming gifts or big institutional change? Michelle has been part of several historical development moments and challenging projects throughout her career. She shares with us what goes into this work and how best to lead it. She tells us about how she identified the naming gift for the Children's Hospital at University of Chicago, shares a new series she helped build to engage the community at Chicago, and then goes into detail about major work that she was instrumental in building, a dynamic medical fundraising program at Stanford. Michelle lets us know that strong female mentors were key, and she has always kept a portfolio. Big-scale institutional changes are Michelle's specialty. Michelle M. Sheely is a leader in philanthropic funds development with a career focused on private support for academic research institutions that spans more than two decades. As Senior Vice President for Development, Michelle has central development oversight for six of Stanford's seven schools, university-wide centers and institutes, and leads the fundraising effort for the university's new strategic initiatives. From 2012 to 2016, Ms. Sheely led an ambitious $1 billion fundraising campaign for Stanford Medicine. More than $1.7 billion was raised in five years, with over $650 million committed to the new Stanford Hospital, a centerpiece of the campaign. Before arriving at Stanford in January 2011, Ms. Sheely served as Vice President and Associate Dean for Development at the University of Chicago Medical Center, where she led two successful fundraising campaigns. Ms. Sheely serves on advisory councils for her alma maters, Boston University, Northwestern University, and Our Lady of Peace, and on councils at the University of Chicago and Crystal Springs Upland School. Let's get started. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for joining us on The Debrief. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be part of this. Why don't we start at the University of Chicago? Okay, so my very first difficult project was finding a naming donor for what was going to be our new children's hospital. We had a new chair who had just come from the University of Washington. He had a compelling vision. He was warm, friendly, wonderful with donors. But when I arrived and I counted how many major donors we had, we had 12. 12. And And how did you define a major donor at that time? Right. So anyone who would have given a gift of six figures or more. Wow. 12. To the entire University of Chicago entity, 12. What year was this? 1996. And I was recruited to work with this new chairman to build a new children's hospital. It was difficult because we didn't have a strong donor base or a strong history of donors. Um, There was no volunteer architecture. Um, We didn't have a culture of philanthropy across the faculty. We had our work cut out for us and we started being very entrepreneurial, started to reach out to individuals in the community who we thought might resonate with our mission. I remember the year, I think it was 2003. So we had been at this for a while. We had closed some nice gifts and we were building a nice group of philanthropists dedicated to the Children's Hospital, but we hadn't found the naming donor. I went to my development boss at the time and said, I really think I'm gonna have to leave this field because we've been doing all the right things and we still don't have a naming donor. 
And wouldn't you know, within a couple months, someone emerged who had grown up in our community, had gotten wind of all of the activity that we had created, and was at a time in his life where he wanted to give back. And he put his name on the children's hospital and ended up making a couple of more eight-figure gifts. He, he has since passed away, but his wife and his daughter continue to be very engaged with that children's hospital. So that was my first difficult project. With the understanding that it was your first, did you go into it excited, nervous, or how did you know what to do? I was excited because I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah, you didn't know how hard it was. At the time that I was, you know, interviewing, I was in love with the University of Chicago and the institution and the thought of it. The vice president for development at the time had a great reputation. I thought that the chairman of the Department of Pediatrics was very charismatic. And it was about children, right? What wasn't there to love? And I just was too young at the time. I was uh, too naive to ask the question, what does your prospect pool look like? What does your donor base look like? So when I got there, it didn't occur to me to be worried. I just thought, well, I guess this is the job, right? And, you know, we would send letters, cold letters out to people who we knew were philanthropic, who lived in our area, and they would answer our calls. I mean, it was truly amazing. And then they would introduce us to people and we just grew it over time. It was very rewarding. I'm sure it was. Was the naming donor who emerged someone that you had been working on? Like, had you predicted that he would have? No. No. We had been um, spending a lot of time with the university board, telling them about this important project. Uh, it was a, a university priority to build the children's hospital. And it was a board member who went to one of his clients and said, this is for you. This is what you need to do next. And oh, the gentleman said, you're right. Then he came and he met with our chairman and he met with the, the president of the hospital. And it happened within a month. I mean, it just very quickly. Knowing how it happened now, looking back, what advice would you have given yourself in the trenches of the disappointment and the day-to-day -day just drag? Development really does work. The activity really does create an environment in which anything is possible. If I had sat in my office and just complained about not knowing what to do or not knowing who to go to or not having any prospects and why isn't the university giving me their prospects? Why isn't the president out there getting his board excited and delivering you know, the, the prospects for it? If we had been doing that, nothing would have happened, right? But we didn't know any better. We were sending letters out to potential philanthropists and influencers and making presentations and talking to members of the university board and building our major gift portfolio and our donors in the process. So what I would tell myself is the process really works and nothing happens overnight. This is hard work, but trust in the process. And then what I know now is to always make sure that I'm working with an institution that is trusted, that has integrity, that people want to be associated with. And then the second thing I would tell myself is who your faculty are, who your department chair is, who your vice president for development is, who your hospital president is. 
their value system, their philosophy, desire to spend time in, in development really matters. For every job after that, I made sure that I wasn't going anywhere unless I had those two things in place, right? So all the pieces had to work together. Yes. It's not just yes. one piece. So what you also didn't know at the time was that you were going to go on to do several more, you know, very challenging, complex projects several of them at Stanford. Before we talk about those, which lessons would you say you learned from that initial experience that you ended up taking with you? So there was another step between my first, you know, big project at, at Chicago and my entry into Stanford. And that was when my former boss, who was the vice president for development, retired. I was living in San Francisco at the time and I had been telecommuting for two years. So this was back in 1999 and 2000, 2001, before telecommuting was a thing. I had a very forward thinking vice president for development. And she came to visit me and she said, I just retired and I came to tell you in person because they're going to call you tomorrow and they're going to offer you my job. And oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I said, well, they can't do that. I live in San Francisco and I have a two-year-old and you know, this situation works for me, right? I get to work from home. My hours end at 3.30. I have the whole afternoon with my son. And she said, well, that's why I'm here. You know, these opportunities don't come around very often. And so you really need to think about it and you better have your answer before the Dean calls. She's like, um, I'm not asking, I'm telling. <laughs> I, exactly. Exactly. Well, Long story short, I said, yes, we moved back to Chicago. She knew you um, were going to say yes. <laughs> and yeah, and I was the vice president for development at 36, not at all ready for what came at me. A program that my former boss had taken to 50, 60 million a year, which at the time wasn't bad, but we certainly weren't at the top echelon, right? And what our new dean wanted to do was double that, break the $100 million mark. These were times when six figures was a lot. Seven figures was a, a, a principal gift, right? It's not like it is now. It wasn't like it is now. Again, you know, we're on the south side of Chicago. We didn't have a long history of philanthropy. And so we had to get creative again about how to bring people into our community, get them excited about what we were doing at the University of Chicago. But again, we still had the brand of the University of Chicago and we were doing really good work. And so we created an outreach initiative called Discovery and Impact. And they still use it today. It's branded Discovery and Impact. And what that was, was taking the University of Chicago, which was on the South Side, into the city of Chicago and creating a buzz around all the amazing research that was going on in, in, in Hyde Park. Like to really educating the community, educating the, the community, Chicago community. And I was the vice president for development there for eight years. And I will tell you, as I left to come here to Stanford, it was an amazing outreach anchor for the program that brought many new donors into our, our community. To this day, it is one of the things that they do to continue now not just to identify new prospects, but to cultivate and steward donors as well. Um, it's always a sellout program, and we started engaging our volunteers in the program as well. So 
we had well-known household names hosting. Instead of it being the University of Chicago at a big hotel, it would be hosted by a well-known household name in Chicago. You know, that's how we- And so was this a lecture series? This is an educational- It was. It was for a year and we would always choose a topic that was top of mind for people. So our very first was around prostate cancer. And we had this amazing panel of faculty. The first was a radiologist who told everyone in the audience that you should radiate if you have prostate cancer. The second was a surgeon, very well-known surgeon, who said, nope, you need, to, you need to treat your prostate cancer with surgery. Then we had the oncologist who said, no, you should do a wait and see method if you have prostate cancer. And then we had this young new Turk who had just started doing prostate cancer with the da Vinci. And so you had two different surgeons, one saying, do it my you know, old fashioned way. And then the new young guy saying, oh no, you should do the da Vinci. And here's why you should do da Vinci. It's the University of Chicago, right? It's, it's the place that teaches you how to learn. So it was very provocative. We weren't speaking at people and you know, telling them what to think. We were creating an environment where people were able to you know, listen from different perspectives. And then they, were, they weren't fighting, but they were you know, going at it on the stage and people were asking questions. It was very interactive. You know, that just kicked it off and that's the format that we used going forward. And so we would always bring faculty um, into the city and we would always be talking about what was authentic to the University of Chicago and, and why people needed to come down to Hyde Park and think about the University of Chicago, not just the institutions that were on the North side. So the, between the first project and the second project, the lessons that I brought to Stanford when I finally got to Stanford, don't be afraid to try new things. You make your volunteers your partners, right? We started the idea ourselves, but then we engaged our volunteers in the process. Um, use your faculty. Your faculty are your best assets. Um, but now that I'm at Stanford, I, I would extend that to say your faculty and your students are your best assets and trust in the creativity of your team. While this was a seed of an idea, we had work groups, you know, that would come together and would brainstorm the topics and um, the venues and the formats. And um, I think now they don't just have lectures, they actually have breakout sessions. And so they have one big lecture and then they have breakout sessions and then they come back for dinner. Um, and it's just a wonderful, engaging, process. I have to tell you, Michelle, I have Chicago as one of my cities in my regional role at Columbia. I'm not even kidding you. Multiple people have told me about this. You're kidding. That they give to it that they're, they're like, the thing is, Chicago just really knows what they're doing. And that's where, and I'm like, okay, but I can't change that. Like, that's great. Now I know it was you. Well, it was that's was, crazy. I was there at the time when we did it. Exactly. It, and, it was, and what a legacy it's been. I mean, they've it's been great. continued to grow and yeah. bring an impact. It's a brand. That's, it sounds like it really was kind of ahead of its time. And I have to tell you, it really surged. So I'm going to do a shout out to one of my colleagues. His name is Scott Nummel. And it really surged when he joined our team. Mm. Um, and he continues to be the brains behind its evolution. Um, and he came to visit me here at Stanford in early, in early days, like 2012, maybe 2013. And he met with our events team. And we do something called Frontiers in Medicine that is definitely uh, modeled after Discovery and Impact. That works really great. 
here as well. It must be so cool to see like the next iteration of the idea and then it evolves further and then the next. So yeah. let's talk about that. So you moved on to a different medical system. Right. And you took on a really big, exciting thing, but I don't want to say it wrong. So I'll let you tell us. Well, the idea was to come to Stanford and help them make their medical fundraising as successful as fundraising at the university. So it was one of the few schools that wasn't punching above its weight. And Stanford was in the middle of the Stanford Challenge, which was a, a, a significant you know, $6.3 billion campaign. And the vice president for development at the time just knew that medicine wasn't contributing at the level it should be. Hmm. And he attributed that to the fact that Stanford had a hospital development office and a school of medicine development office. And often they were competing with one At another. At the time, was that common for them to be separate? Or was that you know, unusual? It's still, it's still the case for some universities, okay. certainly some academic medical centers. It's not best practice. And for an institution like Stanford that prides itself on collaboration, it, it just it didn't fit. Didn't fit. So my job was to come and assess this program together. And one of the things that made this possible was that our vice president for development and the provost and the president wanted this to happen. So this is- You had full support behind you. Full support. This is not something you could do just as a development professional. It has to come from your leaders. So with their full support, we brought together the staff from the hospital and the school of medicine and we said make presentations to one another about your work and so for the first month we just listened to everything that the hospital does and the school of medicine got to listen and then the school of medicine gave presentations and the hospital got to listen and then we said okay now that you know what each of you does we're going to pretend like we have a whiteboard and we're going to have three work groups. We're going to have one work group that focuses on grateful patients. We're going to have one work group that focuses on principal gifts. And we're going to have one work group that focuses on major gifts. And we're going to have three people from the hospital, three people from the school of medicine, three people from the university. And this is how we populated all of the work groups. And each work group had two co-chairs. We gave them a time frame. We said, whiteboard, what you think the very best principal gift program for an academic medical center should be and grateful patient program and major gift program. And then we're going to present to one another at the end of two months. We listened to these presentations. I took all of the recommendations and then came up with an org chart that was then blessed by the vice president for development and the leaders. And then we said to all the development professionals on the two teams, okay, here's your org chart. You helped us build it. Now decide where you see yourself. For some of you, your jobs are on this org chart. For some of you, your jobs aren't on this org chart, but there are other jobs that nobody's in. Give us your first, second, and third choices, and we're gonna come around and we're gonna talk to all of you, but all of you are guaranteed a role. So we spent the summer populating um, the new organization, and then we spent the next year hiring for positions. Did you get backlash from people? Was there a lot of anxiety? Not really, because they were involved from the very beginning. 
Mm. And everyone got to have a job. Maybe it wasn't Mm -hmm. the job they liked, but even if they were in a job and they wanted to apply for a different job, they could. Now, some people by the end of summer chose to leave. It wasn't a big group of people that left, you know, probably 10. Some of it's to be expected. So it wasn't wasn't disruptive, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, I'm, um, I'm impressed by that because I would think that could be very unsettling if done a different way. Yeah, no, I think because we had been so open and transparent from the very beginning, you know, here we're going to listen to the hospital present on their program and anyone can come. It just, mm-hmm. it wasn't behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So then we had lots of open positions and we started filling those open positions. And so we went from a staff of 60 over the course of a year to about 120. And then by that point, we had a new dean of the, the, the School of Medicine. We knew that we had to start fundraising for a brand new hospital. And so within a year of building this new organization, we launched a, a billion dollar campaign. It's the first ever Stanford Medicine campaign. And 600 million of that was for a brand new adult hospital, which we just opened last October. So it's really been an amazing, amazing journey. What did it feel like on opening day? It felt like you were on the verge of tears every single minute because you were surrounded by faculty who were your partners from the get-go. You were surrounded by volunteers who stuck with us, you know, for nine years. Basically, it was nine years of work. Um, You know, then your colleagues, I mean, there are people that were there before me. All the people who were in the School of Medicine, in the hospital development team, long before I got there, and we got to this place together. I mean, it was just, it's a once in a lifetime thing. You you know, you you can't plan that. How did you toe the line between giving people a voice to help inform your plans versus, you know, you've done this and you know what you're doing um, and kind of saying, no, this is actually what I recommend, almost as if you're a consultant. I guess that's just it. You ask the leader questions so that they can think through what they think best practice would be in their area of specialty. If you are a consultant, you have a sixth sense and you know when someone knows their business. I think it goes back to not feeling like you need to be in control, suspending judgment and staying curious. You've said she a lot. Have you worked with a lot of strong women throughout your career? A lot of strong women. I a love lot. that. The first time that I worked with men was here at Stanford. There are a lot of really strong men in leadership here at Stanford. And this was my, I'd worked with a lot of men in, in the faculty positions at the University of Chicago, but the University of Chicago had a woman vice president for development, a woman CEO. I reported to a woman vice president for medical development. Then I was the vice president for medical development. So um, there were a lot of women leaders at the University of Chicago, but the the men were in the academic faculty positions. Here at Stanford, there's a lot of really strong men, men leaders. Do you think that having those formative, you know, in the earlier years of your career, having those women to look up to helped catapult your leadership in your career? You know, that's a really good question. I know for sure that Judith Sanderson, so she was my vice president for medical development at the University of Chicago. She was absolutely my advocate. Um, The only reason the dean was coming to 
asked me to be the vice president for development is because she fought really hard for that. And what she said to me is, medical center development at the, at the University of Chicago is another, is my third child. She had two older kids, but it's my third child. I am not gonna give up my child to just anyone. And she made it her business to convince them. Wow. Kind of like that movie, RBG, where her husband is the one that convinced everyone that she needed to be on the Supreme Court. Judith yeah. was my Marty. Remember her husband? Yes, yes. Marty was the one who got everyone, you know, excited yes. about RBG. Judith was my Marty. And Randy Holgate, who was the vice president for university development at, at Chicago, continues to be a mentor. I mean, I call her now. If I'm having a, a difficult day or things are a little bit murky, I call, you know, we're still in very close touch. That's so great. Yeah, I absolutely credit all of the opportunities I've had to women. And then, you know, coming here, Martin Shell was my very first um, male boss in development. And um, he gave me huge opportunity, lots of um, headspace, lots of trust. And, and now I work for John Denny, another vice president for development who gives me a lot of um, opportunity to, to be a, a true partner. Um, so yeah, I've been fortunate, but see, it goes back to making sure that you're working at a place that has a strong brand, good values, you know, getting to know who it is you're going to be working with. I've had many colleagues who are excited about going to a new opportunity, a new job, a new institution. They get there and, you know, within six months, they're asking if they can come back. I think it's hard to find the right place. So the things that we've talked about have been these exciting large-scale projects. Have you continued with a portfolio throughout this time? Yes, I have. I have, and I said to Martin early on and, and to John, so I just had a reboot here at Stanford. Martin, I, Martin was my manager for eight of those nine years, and then John recently became the vice president for development. And in both cases, um, I just checked in, made sure that both understood what was important to me was having a portfolio. Martin said, that's what I would expect. And John also as well said, absolutely, we will always make sure you have enough time to have your own portfolio. Um, and that is actually, that was the hardest part of coming to Stanford. I had amazing relationships after 14 years at the University of Chicago. And to be honest, I didn't, give enough thought to leaving those behind. If I had known how uh, special it was, I probably still would have come, but it, the decision would have been harder. It has taken me a very long time to build a group of philanthropists who I, who I have the privilege of, of working with, right? First of all, many of the people here at Stanford have been here for 20, 30 years plus. There aren't a lot of individuals that are shifted. There's in a lot of- Yeah, it's quite a bit of stability. You have to, it is part of the stability. And so when you come, you have to build your own portfolio. Lucky for me that working in medicine gave me that opportunity. Um, but still there are a lot of people that gave to medicine who were already university donors. It didn't happen as quickly as, as one might think. So now I have about 25 donors who I absolutely love. Um, principal gifts? Mostly principal gifts, yes. And they're interested in medicine, engineering, 
life sciences writ large, you know, some scholarship. Yeah, those are those are mainly the entry points for the, the individuals that I work with. Well, Michelle, you've had such an incredible career and I feel like we've only just seen the surface. We may need to have you back. <laughs> but, but to wrap up our first conversation, I would love to end with my signature question, which is what do you know for sure? Well, you know, thank goodness I listened to your podcast, which I love, by the way. Um, and so I knew your signature question and I'm, and I'm ready. So what I know for sure is that none of us can be successful alone, that we all need community. If we never forget that, then I think we have a better chance of being our best selves. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, now we know what it takes. A big idea, a strong institution, and a supportive boss. All of these things come together with hard work. What stuck with me was your comment, Michelle, about the fact that development really does work. Big projects are surmountable with dedication and transparency. While this episode was focused on Michelle's career, I was able to glean more gems from her in a special bonus episode. Listen further to get advice on collaborating with brilliant minds. Michelle shares her viewpoint on what it's like to work with highly successful people. None of what she has accomplished in this episode would have been possible without this critically important skill. Stay tuned for a short bonus episode coming up next.